What up, though? It's been a while since Face First has been in the studio, and a lot has happened. Uh, some things have changed. I've gotten much more busy. Uh, I started a new podcast as well, along with this one, and it's like all these different facets of things I do. Obviously, Face First, we have the different way we use this platform where sometimes I'm interviewing people, and I want to turn that more so into pieces on who the people are, not necessarily podcasts where it's conversational, but where we're learning about these different people. And I had an opportunity to do uh, B Mike, a great artist um, who owns a gallery uh, called Studio B in New Orleans. We also had Dan Arlowski come on. I thought that was just simply amazing because here I am working with Dan all the time. And you don't even know some of these things about him, that he didn't have a mom from a certain age until he was an adult, uh, that he doesn't really speak to his dad um, anymore after the way you know he raised him that he was a hard man and he made Dan have to love football um, in the way he did because that was the only validation that he has and so like I kind of like the way that that is trending now like things are changing and then I get to come in here and just tell you what I think sometimes we you know we talk about life whether I'm getting almost arrested in Mexico or almost die or we get to talk about Colin Kaepernick Kobe Bryant you know we've done Tim Tebow, Cam Newton, we've done all these different things. And so I really wanted to get back in here and share a little bit. Um, I started this podcast called The Pivot. Um, it's with Channing Crowder and Fred Taylor, who are two dudes who were both good football players, both Florida Gators. And so it's kind of awkward that I got to be around those guys all the time because they think it's great to be a Florida Gator when not really. Like, it's kind of okay. Um, and so, you know, we have this different dynamic, but they're coming from another podcast. Um, in a podcast that was extremely popular, actually the podcast that made them popular. And so I just remember, you know, getting the call from our producer, producer, uh, Alicia Zubakowski. She's produced Hard Knocks. She produced all of Floyd Mayweather's 24-7. And she asked me, did I want to do it? And the first thing I said is, well, what's up with the business of the other podcast? Can you, have you guys exhausted every possible thing to get it done, to continue, you know, a run that you have started that was for the culture. And she said, I think we have. Uh, Channing would like to call you. So Channing gives me a call. Uh, we chop it up for about an hour. And I say, okay, let's just keep diving into it. And so then, man, we just started. And our first show is in New Jersey. And, you know, we do that show and we kind of talk about where we want to go and the pivots that we're making, man. And since then, we've done Ricky Williams. We've done Floyd Mayweather. We've done Micah Parsons, Taylor Lewan. Hugh Jackson, like we've done just this great list of people and it's just been so exciting to try to learn to do something different, you know, and we got an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl and, and hang out together and and, and kind of get to know one each other, one another more, go on Radio Row. It's just truly been a fascinating, fascinating uh, journey for us so far. And it's only been seven weeks. Uh, what's crazy is too, though, you get to learn a lot about people. Uh, you learn that people can be fake, that people can put on this facade for the world and then be a totally different thing. Um, and the thing that I've learned through that is you always have to be you no matter what the outside noise is. You always have to conduct yourself in a way that not only shows your character, but continues to expose your character to the world and allow the world to make decisions about who you are and how they'll treat you. And so what I've learned is all that straight ain't always straight. All that's black and white is sometimes gray. And so, so many things have transpired since then and since starting this that I said, you know what? I just want to go sit down and like chop things up.
Um, this has been a very interesting week for me. Um, and when I say this week has been interesting, um, you know, it all kind of started with Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers, again, just holding the media hostage, holding the Green Bay Packers hostage in the sense of him making a decision about what he's going to do. And early on this week, he posted this really cryptic uh, Instagram post or, or tweet, you know, whatever, whatever form you got to see it on. And he's thanking Shailene Woodley and he's thanking the, the Friday crew. He's thanking the quarterback room. And this is one thing if every week this is what happens. Or if every year this is what happens. If every year Aaron Rodgers at the end of the season comes out and says, here are the things that are happening. Here are the things that happened during the season. I want to give this love to y'all. God bless you. Right? Because we'd be used to that. That would be like the Aaron Rodgers we know. That would be the character that he shows. That would be the leadership that he shows every year. And giving people their flowers while they're around to hear him. Or soon as the season is over. But that ain't what he does. Right? So it's tripped out. And so now you go to the meeting and or the production meeting. And it's Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. And I'm like, hell. I am freaking tired of talking about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers ain't playing right now. Nobody is. There's no new news on Aaron Rodgers other than the news that Aaron Rodgers is maybe trying to make or not trying to make that we keep biting the bait on. So we get into the meeting and they ask me the question about it. I'm like, yo, I'm really tired of talking about it. Like, I don't want to talk about it. But I think what people miss is I don't get to make the news. I don't get to tell you that this is what we're talking about or we're not talking about. I don't get to say Greeny. Or I don't get to say Fink. I don't get to say Dave. Or I don't get to say Allie, whoever my producer is that morning on the show, that I'm not doing it. Now, there are some things that they put you in bad positions you can say that about. Right? Or there are some things that sometimes your answer and what you want to say, if they might not want that to be what's portrayed on the network, they just might not let you say it. But if it's actually actual something that pertains to football, whether it's not actual real football or not, that's my job. So whether I want to talk about it or not, I got to do my job. And in doing my job, I had to talk about Aaron Rodgers. And so I did talk about how much I hated talking about it. I did talk about how tired I was of it. I did speak on the fact that I feel he's creating this news and he understands what he's doing. And after talking about it for a week, I came to the conclusion Aaron Rodgers may be a low-key, maniacal genius. Think about this. We talked about him the entire offseason last year, especially starting at the draft when Adam Schefter finally broke the news. And we speculated the entire offseason. We were trying to prophesize and figure out and whatever, prognosticate whatever it was that Aaron was doing so we could be first. Let's be really smart about it. And I'm going to tell you he's going to be playing in Denver. And look how all these things set up. And what do he do? Walk into camp on the first day with a Kevin from the office shirt on, with his hair pulled in a ponytail, sitting at the table, getting the seat he wanted, Brian Gunekis bending to his will, putting in a contract that puts him 47, $46 million against the cap, not really giving him a trade clause, but giving him an opportunity to talk about it. And Aaron Rodgers got everything he wants. Subsequently, they went 13 games. He's the MVP for the fourth time. And now his leverage or his position in football is as high as it's ever been. That's genius. Because Devontae Adams is up to be a free agent now. And your cap number is high if you're Aaron Rodgers. You want to be the highest paid quarterback 
in the league, which makes you the highest paid player in the league. You don't even want that to be close. So Josh Allen's 258, that ain't even barking up the tree that you're trying to climb. You say, I have a list of demands. Aaron Rodgers basically said, you know what? I am Jesus Christ, your savior. And in being Jesus Christ, your savior, I'm giving you the Bible because the Bible will lead you to righteousness. So here's the list of demands and things I need in order to be your quarterback next year. So you either fulfill them or you don't. But by your decisions and by your actions and telling me what you want, this lets me know if you want Aaron Rodgers to be your quarterback. And so now we're in limbo. We're asking Brian Gunakus all of these questions. He can't really answer them. He has no answers. He's just feeling his way through life because he is at the mercy of a maniacal genius named Aaron Rodgers. Some of the stuff he says, I'm like, ah, oh, that don't really make sense. But it makes sense to him. And so I go on this entire, I wouldn't necessarily call it rant. I had 45 seconds, 30 seconds to talk about it. And I talk about it in the way that I talk about it. And it is what it is. And then you get the tweets. Oh, you hated Aaron Rodgers since he beat you in the Super Bowl. Man, I don't care about that junk no more. People got to understand, my job is to entertain. Now, I could just come on and say, hey, this is what I think of Aaron Rodgers, and that is life. But that ain't how you make money. That's not what people tune in to watch. That's not entertainment. That's not fun. That's not spirited. That's not energetic. That's not passionate. And it's my job to be all of those things so you can be passionate and you can be all of those things about the stuff that I'm talking about. That don't mean I'm still pissed off with Aaron Rodgers. That don't mean I'm racist and I'm only saying it because he's a white quarterback, which is the stupidest thing in the world. It just means that's how I feel about Aaron Rodgers. I'm good at what I do. I do it in my way because that's how it was made. And so on the same day, the same show, my favorite team in the world, Pittsburgh Steelers. Love me some Pittsburgh Steelers. If not for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I am not here getting an opportunity to stand in front of black and gold emblems that say face first and talk to you. They said, Kevin Colbert, one of the best GMs in the world, three Super Bowls, two Super Bowl rings, will have an opportunity to go down into the Hall of Fame. Yes, he will. Will he go? I don't know. I don't get the vote. He says that Mason Rudolph is cool with him. He's all right with Mason Rudolph being the quarterback. And I said, if you are right with Mason Rudolph being your quarterback, you are right with telling the world you don't want to win a Super Bowl. Now, when I say this, that don't seem polarizing to me. That makes total sense. Mason Rudolph is an average NFL quarterback. Average NFL quarterbacks should not be starters for the most storied organization in the history of football. Yes, it ain't the Patriots. They've just been good the last two decades. It ain't the Cowboys because they ain't been good in a decade and a half. It is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Six Super Bowl, 15-year coach Mike Tomlin, who's a future Hall of Famer. Three Super Bowls since 2005. All of those things are who the Pittsburgh Steelers are, no matter what the last nine years look like as far as it pertains to the Super Bowl. And Mike Tomlin is a genius and is famous and is a Hall of Famer simply because he allowed Antonio Brown to be on the, on the team eight or nine years and you never heard from him. There was never anything that he did that became a problem. And so when they asked me about Mason Rudolph, I just said, if this is who the starter is, you're telling me that the Steelers are no longer trying to fill teams that can win Super Bowls. And if they can't win Super Bowls, then they ain't the Steelers that the fans love. Not that the fans won't still love them. It's just a different team. Like if I married you and you behaved a certain way 
and now you changed because you grew up or you evolved and you matured, it don't mean I'm not going to love you anymore. It's just not the person I loved in the beginning. It's different. But the thing is, everybody's mad because I'm saying that difference is a negative, which it is. The reason Ben Roethlisberger started last year, the reason they held on to him and kept him was because they didn't feel like they had a better option. Mason Rudolph was one of those options. That makes sense to me. But no, no. Ryan, you hate your team. Ryan, you're this. Again, Ryan, you're racist. So what am I supposed to do? Not talk about white people that play football? I mean, it's only 30% of the league anyway. So I gotta, I, I have to not talk about 30% of the league in a negative way. If they do something, I can't do my job the same way I do my job for Russell Wilson. The same way I do my job for Lamar Jackson. The same way I do my job for a Patrick Mahomes, for Deshaun Watson, for all of these, for Aaron Donald, for Jamar Chase, for Justin Jefferson. The list goes on and on and on and on and on, but I'm going to do my job. When Cam Newton shouldn't have been playing this year, I said Cam Newton shouldn't have been playing because that's my job. It doesn't matter the color of the person. That's what I'm supposed to do. So, yes, I think if Mason Rudolph is the starting quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, that they're going to freaking stink. Now, do they have a coach that's never had a losing season? Absolutely. Is Mason Rudolph not 5-4-1 as a starter? Absolutely he is. Right? They averaged 13 points a game during that time. And not every game was one by one point. Or not every game did the actual score was 13. So I know sometimes they gave up more than 13. Sometimes the Pittsburgh Steelers scored more than 14. I get all of those things. I just think he's an average quarterback. And the thing is, nothing's wrong with that. Chase Daniels been an average quarterback his whole life, and he's a multimillionaire. That was never a starter for a team. It's okay to not be a starter and be in the NFL. Dan Olowski is one of the smartest, brightest minds in TV. He ain't wasn't no starter because he wasn't a good starter. Nothing's wrong with that. But for me, a lot of times it's the things that, People say to me, and listen, I'm smart enough to know that Twitter can't be my barometer on the world, right? Twitter can't be the way that I, one, I get my self-worth. Two, I get my news or information. Three, I get the post on what the entire community, culture, society is thinking. But they say enough. And usually the negativity is louder than the praise. So even with that, oh, Ryan Clark's racist. And I don't know if it's because everybody knows that Mason Rudolph is a Republican and I'm not. Um, I don't know if it's because everybody knows that or at least that Miles Garrett said that Mason Rudolph called him the N-word and they think I internalized that as I uh, analyze him in his quarterback play. None of those things matter to me. Those are things that matter to other people that they feel like matter to me because I am outspoken on issues of social justice. Because I am outspoken on issues of minority and black head coaches being hired. Yes, no doubt. I love being black. I love black people. I do not think that black is superior. I think that it is equal. Because I think that God made us all in his image and likeness. And so that has nothing to do with the way that I view football. It has nothing to do with the way that I analyze film. That's who I am. It's not how I do my job. And so now, 
we move on into the super duper important events of the week. Um, Clay Travis. I mean, everybody knows Clay Travis. Well, maybe not everybody, because everybody uh, doesn't care. Um, and so when you look at it and you think about who he is, the the rhetoric and the things that he says, we know that they slant toward the Republican side. And in the Republican side, you can come time time say like the the Trump side or, or those supporters or the people who were empowered uh, during during his time in office, whatever, whatever it is and whatever you want to say. So Juwan Howard has obviously his issue with uh, the coach from Wisconsin. And before I get into my thing with Clay Travis, I'll kind of talk about that. Juwan Howard was wrong. Juwan Howard should be suspended. I knew that when he did it. I saw that when he did it. I believe that when he did it. All of those things were true at the time. Juwan Howard was mad because Wisconsin called a timeout while he was pressing backups. What the hell else is he supposed to do? If you are still coaching, if you are still attempting to win the game, if you are still pressuring, if you are still pressing, if you are attempting to get the basketball and give your team more opportunities to score points, then it is my job as a head coach to make sure I have my team in the best position to not allow you to do that. If you're coaching to the whistle, I should get to coach to the whistle. There is no unwritten rule in basketball that says if you're coaching, I shouldn't be. Or if you aren't, I shouldn't be. You get to make your own decisions as a coach. And I don't get to be pissed off about those. So when Wisconsin calls the timeout, Juwan Howard takes it a certain way and he has an issue. He is now upset. Up until this point, Wisconsin's coach has done nothing wrong. I don't necessarily believe Juwan has done anything wrong because people are entitled, entitled to feel the way that they feel. So Juwan Howard makes up his mind that he is just going to walk past Wisconsin's coach, which still, though unsportsmanlike, not necessarily wrong, right? Just unsportsmanlike. So as Juwan is walking by him, the coach stops Juwan Puts his hand in his chest, basically like, nah, you're going to talk to me. That's not what you do. If you want to stand on the side of Juwan and try to get his attention, try to talk to him, try to slow him down with your words, you do that. You don't put your hands on another grown man at any time in any way. Touching me in my chest is not okay. Grabbing me on my arm is not okay. None of those things are okay. None of them. And so now, whatever ensues after that, though not your fault, because you can't make me slap a man. You can't make me punch a man. You can't make me do any of those things. It is still the thing that incites an issue. Because if you allow me to walk past you as I was, now you have no fault in anything. Now we aren't stopped. Now we aren't in this huddle. Now we aren't in this kerfuffle. 
because I've walked past you. I've proceeded to go on about my business and I'm in the locker room getting asked the questions about why I behave like a dickhead when you did nothing wrong. But see, coaches and their egos and coaches and their feeling, coaches and their entitlement, he was like, oh, hell no, you're not going to walk by me. Hell no, you're not going to show me up when I'm in the right. And that's where the problem starts. You put your hands on me, all bets are off. Now, since I'm on my own podcast, I can say this, Juwan Howard should have slapped him, though. I don't know what was said and what incited Juwan Howard to now reach over and slap the assistant coach. In my mind, he wasn't in imminent danger. There were people standing in between them. In my mind, it was a time that he could de-escalate the problem. But I also know who I am. I know how I am. And I know once I have been touched, once I have been infuriated, once I felt disrespected in a physical way, I don't know if I control the rest of the ways I move. And so here we are. We're at the situation where Jawan reaches over and slaps the coach. And what I tweet out is I have the feeling they're going to try to bury Juwan. I didn't tweet an opinion on what he did. I didn't defend what he did. I simply said, based on the actions that I saw and the footage that was seen, that Juwan Howard was in trouble and that those in power in the Big Ten were going to make sure he was punished sufficiently for it. Now, there are different ways that you could argue this. You can argue and say, well, the things that Juwan Howard did buried him himself. I don't disagree with that. But to say or to feel that I had a, an issue with the way that he would be reprimanded based on the fact that he was black was stupid. It was presumptive. It was white fragility. And so, Clay Travis comes in and he's like, yeah, because he's the victim. Now, I'll admit, in hearing he's the victim, I'm immediately triggered because anytime there's police brutality, anytime there's any sort of quote-unquote oppression that we are trying to fight, any inequalities, any inequities, any diversity issues, that's always the thing. Oh, black people are always the victim. Y'all always screaming victim. Everything's always done to y'all. Y'all so oppressed. So when I read victim and understand and consider the source that it is coming from, I realize that, or I am triggered to think, oh, I know who this dude is. I know the way he thinks. I know the way he moves. And I have to respond. Now, my boss told me, you don't wrestle with pigs because they like the mud and they enjoy it. I'm trying to learn to not do that. I'm trying to learn to not stoop to the level of those who approach me, of those who quote unquote attack me, to, for those who come for me. I ain't got there yet. Sometimes, if you want the stuff, I'm gonna give you the stuff. If you're trying to rub the sticks together and get the smoke, I'm gonna bring fire, like that's who I am. So I'm learning to not be that or to try to tone that down, but I don't win every time. So I basically respond and say, first off, bro, nobody came for you. Nobody asked your opinion. 
Secondly, you don't even follow me. So for you to spew this ignorance means that you're doing this purposely to incite something. I said I didn't bring up color, race, fault, or innocence. I said, but you wanted to make sure that your ignorance was seen by me. And what I said was, your, in capital letters, people will applaud you. Now, what I always say is, a hit dog, a holler. You throw a rock into a pile of dogs, you want to know the one that it hits, it's the one that's barking the loudest. And so to him, I was saying white people because he knows who he panders to. He knows the crowd that follows him. He knows the people he likes to incite and empower. So all of a sudden now, I'm racist because I said your people. No, what I said was your people, right? That could be anyone of any color that supports the rhetoric that you spew. Any ethnicity, any race, any gender. The Jason Whitlocks of the world, I'm sure, love the things that he says. Jason Whitlock's a black man. The Candace Owenses of the world loves the things that she says. They speak about the same things very similarly. She's a black woman. So no, it's not about the color of the people. It's about the hearts of the people. It's about the contents of the folks' character. And so this goes on and on and on and on and on. So now Ryan Clark's the racist. He wants to talk at ESPN, this and that. And I immediately realized it wasn't about my statement. It was about him. It was about what could he gain from it? What could he do for it, from it? So I let it go and I say, look, if you want to have this conversation, we can have this conversation. Send me your number. Let's talk about it. Because I'm always willing to listen. I'm always willing to learn. If you never talk to people who have opposite, um, opposing views of yours, yours, how will you ever expand your mind? It doesn't mean I have to agree, right? But if you are trying to get people to recognize and understand one thing, you have to talk to the people who don't recognize and understand it, who don't agree with it, who oppose it. And so this goes on. And so finally, my wife gets a text message of a guy calling me a racist, of uh, a guy saying racists get what racists do and racists say this and racists this, boo, 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 right? And that's where I draw the line. I get DMs all the time, people calling me monkey, people calling me the N-word, uh, talk about how I always play the, vic the victim, I'm a little N-word, B-I-T-C-H, all of these things, and none of that stuff bothers me, right? These are people I don't know, these are people that don't know me, and it is what it is. But when it gets to my family, then that's a fucking problem. So I tweeted out and I say, hey, you know, you know, that wasn't the only thing we received. But I tweeted out and I say, hey, um, if you think you're texting me and you have my number, it's not me. And that's an issue. I'd like you to stop. But then I get, oh, now you want to play the victim again. So I take one of the screenshots and I just send them to the guy. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not going to make it up. But my problem is this. When have we gotten into a world where in doing your job and talking about people of opposite ethnicities always has to be about racism? See, everything that involves race isn't racism, and that wasn't. And so now we reached a point where it is extended from who I am, what I do, and the social media methods in which I can be contacted into my family. And that was the reason I started this whole thing with The Pivot, because The Pivot has given me an entirely new audience from what I get every day 
on ESPN, which is a huge audience, which is the biggest audience in the world, though people like to say that it's the way we've brought politics into sports that we don't get the views or we don't get the ratings when the ratings are highest they've ever been in six years. Right? That's the stupidity of the loud ones. And so I had a conversation with my wife and she was saying, as you're consistently focused on building these brands, as you're consistently focused on continuing your career, as you're consistently focused on following your passions, you have to realize now that your voice is to a point to where it affects us all. Your voice is big enough to where people listen, but in people listening comes responsibilities. I learned that the most this week. I was called by a coach who had some issues with some things I said. Uh, early on this year, I was called um, by a GM. Uh, I'm always willing to have these conversations because these conversations are important. These conver I don't want to do my job in a way where anybody feels disrespected or offended or feel like it's personal. And within this conversation, you know, I was told that certain things I said and they, they didn't necessarily see them. They were given a packet uh, of, of quotes from different um, analysts and certain things I've said offended them. Uh, some of those things were jokes. Uh, some of those things were the way that I present things in an exaggerated manner so people can now get a vivid picture of what I feel. The, the analogies that are used, the examples that are used to me are better sometimes than saying, okay, this person did a bad job. And, you know, during that conversation, I was told that something I said, which was very true and which was true to the film, was something that they didn't agree with. And I said, I don't really give a damn what you agree with or not. You are not paid to analyze the way I do my job. And then there's a very entitled way of thinking to get on this phone with me and say that. And like I said, the conversation started out that it wasn't personal and that we had no issues. And I said, well, it seems very emotional and personal to me since you're talking about things I say about you, which is personal. And you're talking to me about them because you have a feeling which is personal. And so we get to the conversation. I said, our problem is we need to find a solution because that's what grown men do. They find solutions. So we get to the solution. And as we're getting off of the phone, I said, but I need you to know something. From here until the day one of us dies, it is forever personal between us. We have a personal issue. When I wake up every morning to do my jobs, all million of them, whether it's the pivot, whether it's face first, whether it's be an NFL analyst at ESPN, whether it's my training with DB Precision, I wake up and those things are part of my business. They're part of my brand. They're part of the way that I feed my family, part of the way that I take care of them, take care of myself. When you bring things to my front door about me, then those things become personal. Some of them mean less, matter less, impact me less than others. In this life, we have to pivot. In this life, we have to learn and we have to adjust and we have to figure out how to be the best us in whatever capacity we're asking to be. I only know how to be one way. I only know how to tell the truth and tell the truth as I see it. I only know how to have fun, be honest, and try to engage you as I do my job. I love the way that God has made me. I understand it's not for everybody. And so on every platform I work on, 
on everything that I do, I'm going to present me as I am made. I hope that when I do that, you learn something, you laugh sometimes, and you get a deep opportunity to reflect when it's those times to do so. I just want to do dope things with dope people. That will not always be accepted. But what we should give people the space to do is be themselves and not have to hate it. Glad I'm back in the studio with y'all. We got another guest coming up in the next two weeks. We'll talk later. This is Face First. Kings and queens, go live your life.